And welcome to another episode of Two Medics and One Mic. Your presenters are Imran Lasker and Thrusha Gudwatna. So hello and welcome to another episode of the Two Medics podcast. My name is Imran Lasker. I'm a consultant radiologist. Hi, I'm Thrusha Gudwatna. I'm a cardiology registrar specialising in coronary intervention. And we have a very special guest with us today, another Scottish person. This is the third person who is from the, the place that is known as Scotland that is joining us today. Please do introduce yourself. Hello, my name's Rosie Barua and I am a PGY21. Um, I'm a consultant <laughs> in uh, anaesthesia and intensive care medicine up in Edinburgh. So putting people to sleep is your job, basically. <laughs> so for the next hour, just relax back. Don't, don't be driving or operating heavy machinery. Oh, is that your line? What, what is your line to get people to sleep? Is it, is it something like just relax, you know? Well, you know, it's terrible because you're so used to doing it. Like your mind mm. can be somewhere completely different and you're just like, think something nice to dream about. We're going to be right beside you, taking good care of you while you're sleeping. But, you know, I'm often thinking of something completely different. It's terrible. Um, you're just <laughs> giving the propofol. <laughs> but you've got your standard patter that you build up over the years, yeah. Well, how do you wake them up? Because I've noticed like people do it in different ways. You know, the kind of little, I don't know, do you tap them on their forehead or... Or is that, is that like a weird question to ask? Do you do much waking up of them? Or? Yeah, and it's usually just shouting their name. And there's this thing, and I don't know if it's a Scottish thing, that people can be called, say, David, but they actually get called Ian. And Ian's not their middle name, it's just a random name. Or somebody can be called Agnes, but she actually gets called Sheila. And so you like shouting this name, and it's like they wake up and they're like, yeah, nobody calls me that. It's not very convenient. But yeah, I think it's a very Scottish thing. I still remember when I was a student, I was um, watching, I was going to go watch some surgery, and I was watching the put someone to sleep and they were so lovely to this guy they're chatting to him he, he felt so like at ease and then you know he they put him to sleep and they went god this guy's a big one isn't he look at the size of him how much does this one weigh <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's like oh, man. wow wow you guys changed pretty quickly <laughs> does he not know that hearing's the last thing to go that's a dangerous oh. game <laughs> oh you dreamed times. it you dreamt it you dreamt it yeah we didn't say anything of the sort we didn't say anything oh, of the sort that. Yeah, so I mean, this week we've had quite a lot going on on Med Twitter, but I think we're pulling in a few things that didn't happen on Med Twitter, but does affect everyone really this week, haven't we? Because there are a few things that really, I guess, what triggered us a bit, don't we think? Like um, things that hit us uh, fairly hard. Um, should we start? Should we start with one of the big ones? Um, should we do that? The um, uh, the P word. The P word is that is that one we should uh, just go with? Yeah, I found that very <laughs> difficult. Do you know? Should we uh, through? Should you want to explain this one? Um, sure. Um, this is about a racism, really, isn't it? So, like, mm. um, so we're, in particular, what we're referring to is Asim Rafiq, who was a, he is a cricketer uh, and plays for Yorkshire CCC, right? And mm. um, he made a number of different allegations um, of uh, receiving racist abuse, and in particular, being called a Paki. Um, mm. Oh my god, saying that out loud is so weird, right? Um, mm. But essentially, like the review came back as saying that that the use of that word was banter, um, and uh, so I know that we've all kind of like read the article. But a particular thing that kind of really struck me was how the res- his response to being called that amongst the other kind of banter banter things, I guess, was that uh, he was crying, and how they still kind of um, his colleagues thought that was still okay to call that banter. What do you guys think? 
I mean, th- there's so much to unpick in this in terms of it being, yeah, I mean, it's cricket. So I guess it's, you know, this public thing that we all that we all watch on the telly on a Sunday or whatever. But, you know, just the concept of banter in itself is one that just, you know, makes my hackles rise. It's so often used as this excuse for the dominant group in any kind of group or workplace, um, essentially bullying. Um, in the name of humour, in such a strategic way that makes it so difficult for the recipient to stand up and say that's not okay because it's delivered in this quasi-humorous way. Um, and for a grown man to cry um, amongst his his colleagues, I mean, how can that ever, ever, ever be labelled as banter? And then, you know, for, for this to all be covered up? I mean, I don't really... I know that the, the man is... He's put out a statement today, taking responsibility for what he said. Oh, hmm. I didn't know that. Oh, it's, I know that it's on the yeah. BBC because website, just saying, you know, I thought it was banter. You know, we were good pals. I didn't realise he was upset by it, which is difficult to believe when you read yeah. um, the account from Seymour Feek. It's disingenuous at best and borderline just narcissistic at worse, isn't it? Like not picking it's up. It's gaslighting, isn't it? Yeah, you know, absolutely. just, you know, there's something wrong with you that you thought yeah. that what we know was a friendly conversation is now being weaponized by you as you trying to tell people that I did a racism, even though I'm just a nice guy who was your friend. Yeah, it's tough to, it's, I mean, the thing is like, I think it hit, well, it hit me and I think everyone um, here as well, because I think we've all been in that situation, haven't we? Where someone has been banterish about something and it's just not been banter. But then what do you say? Do you want to be the party pooper and suddenly be like, no, actually, I don't think that's fair. And everyone's going to be like, oh, well, hang on, mate. Now, you know, just take it easy. We're just having a bit of a joke. Uh, yeah. Not realising how, how much you, you've taken it badly. Um, I think I was telling Therusha uh, and actually yourself, Rosie, like, um, obviously I didn't have, the, obviously I've had my fair bit of racism in the past, but this really reminded me of, obviously I, 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 I took a lot of time to pass my exams and I was getting, it was very difficult for me to pass my exams in the end. And um, uh, I remember one time I failed and this time my wife was really upset. Like she was really hoping that this would be done now. I'd be seeing these exams and she actually started crying, which made me feel really terrible. Like I'd let everyone down. My parents called me up and said, what, did you pass this time? And I was like, no, I didn't. You know, I'm really sorry. And I felt like I'd let everyone down. And then um, I did tell a friend of mine and then they went into a WhatsApp group and then made fun of me for failing. And said, oh, Alaska's just failed again. Isn't that funny? And then they're like, I'm oh, you're okay, isn't it? You can take that. And I was thinking, dude, like, you know, I wish you could see everything that happened behind, like how upset people are, how upset mm-hmm. I am. But you've just gone, and what are you going to say? You're not going to be like, oh, well, you know what? Like, I don't think that's fair. And to this day, we don't really, we haven't mentioned it or talked about it. But it, it's just one of those situations where, you know, when is humor humor? It, you know, especially when it's at someone's expense like this. And so when someone's being called, you know, it was so weird because when you read these articles, they don't, even, they don't even say the word. They, they actually, you know, yeah. they, they censor the word. So if you're telling me that's banterish, why are you censoring it? Like yeah, you're censoring absolutely. it for a reason, right? It, it's not fun. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you phrased it that way. Like if he could have seen what was going on behind the scenes, because essentially what you're what you're saying is like, if he could just really have empathized with my situation there, if he could have like, and that's essentially what the, there was a massive, if, if they're going to say, if they're going to put this down to, to banter, that's, it just kind of shows really that failure of empathy. And I kind of wonder if that's, I mean, that's basically them outing themselves as not really being able to empathize with him because of his skin color and just kind of perhaps just not being able to kind of cross that divide and understand that to, mm. to really kind of like see that person's perspective. 
Um, but there's like there are other there are other episodes of it, isn't it? It's not like this is a, a particular bugbear of it. So Selva, he tweeted, didn't he? I just had a racist mm. incident on the train. A drunk man shouted the p word at an Asian lady who moved from her seat to stand next to me in fear. I got called the n word. He moved to the next carriage and off the train quickly. This is an mm. experience for many of us. This is not banter. And you know, I've had experiences like that. Not not recently, but there is one that that I think of a lot. Um, when I was 16, 17 years old, um, on a bus in Glasgow, and this drunk man got on, I was by myself, um, and just started, you know, just chucking all this kind of racist um, language directly at me in this packed bus, um, using words like, he was. it's like, my parents are from Northeast India, so I don't look very Indian, so he was actually calling me a chinky, which, again, is just like, make good spec savers, come on, because um, I don't look in the mm. least bit Chinese. But the thing that really got me is that the feeling of shame, and it's not shame on behalf of this racist man who's come onto this bus and decided to racially abuse a child. It's not shame for all those people on the bus who made a choice to stay silent and allow mm-hmm. this continue. It was shame at, directed at myself for somehow having the goal to exist as this inferior being. And mm-hmm. I think all of those of us who've been subjected to that kind of experience, you somehow feel ashamed. And, you know, it's such a corrosive feeling. And I don't know how this particular cr- cricketer, um, seem, how the story came to light. But people don't report this stuff and they go along with this banter excuse because there's so much shame associated with going mm. to your line manager or your HR department and saying, people are being racist towards me. And it's like, where does the shame come from? We're not the ones mm. who should be feeling ashamed. But mm. certainly when, you know, ever I've heard things, you know, shouted at the street, you just, you go bright red and you feel really shaky and you just... You just want to disappear as opposed mm. to wanting that other person, the person who's committing the racism to disappear. And it's, I don't know if that feeling of shame will ever go away. It's really pernicious. And I think it's something that's drilled in on you from when you're a really small child and the first time you notice you're different and you're not yeah. just different because you're shorter or taller or whatever, you're different in a way that is inferior. Mm, that's an amazing I mean I never thought of it that way but it is completely the correct way to describe the feeling when that kind of thing happens because I guess on some level you you know I've joked about in the past I don't even see myself that I'm brown until someone reminds me and maybe that's on some level pretending in my own head that I'm I am not brown I'm I'm the same as everyone else until someone reminds me and then I'm like oh hang on yeah I guess I am different and then it starts to then it starts to dawn on me that oh I'm not maybe maybe you're right, maybe maybe there's something wrong with me. And, you know, and that kind of, you feel apologetic almost for, for yeah, like you said, completely existing, which is which is crazy, isn't it? Like it just shouldn't be yeah. the way that our natural inclination should be. Maybe we should be fighting back and saying something back, even on our own, yeah. There's only one person who should be feeling ashamed in this story. And that's, mm. his name's Bollard. It's, what's his name? He's got a funny name, the man. <laughs> um, I'll have to Google it. But you know, he's the one who should be feeling ashamed. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it just, um, I guess the story resonates so much because so much of us feel this kind of situation on a day-to-day basis and it can be at work. I mean, there was another tweet that I literally um, read just before coming here. So yeah, there was a tweet from uh, Banandra and um, they said, not a male surgeon telling me that I'm too loud and should learn to speak more softly. And also that he didn't make me, didn't like me questioning if he'd tell a male student that. Hmm, I must have missed the uh, unit on how women should be seen and not heard. Darn. 
I mean, you know, we've talked about this a few times in the podcast series that we, we've conducted and something that um, is steadily becoming more and more apparent and that it, it's so common, isn't it? That uh, female doctors are, are, are made to feel almost similarly embarrassed for being around, for being loud, for being heard, for, for being there. Uh, and to this person's credit, they, they stood up for themselves when the sounds thing. They, they questioned them back, which is quite rare. I mean, I was saying to you guys that had I been in this situation I think I would just get quiet especially as a junior I don't think I would have said very much yeah how about you guys well I mean I think it's we as women are socialized from such an early age that to get approval you need to be quiet you need to be compliant you need to not be assertive and advocate for yourself it is a virtue to put other people first and let other people have the advantages and you know you no no please after you you have the last slice of cake or whatever and the difficulty is if you do um assert your own rights and you do speak up for yourself and advocate for yourself, you're then viewed even more negatively as a result. So it's an absolute double bind. Um, you know, either you don't assert yourself and then you get feedback saying you're not competent enough. How can you possibly be a good doctor? Or you do assert for yourself. And I very much hope this student doesn't get sort of negative pushback as a result of absolutely appropriate assertiveness. But mm. we, and when I say we, I mean men and women, uh, do not like assertive women. They're pushy, they're bullshy, they're, um, they're snarky, they're feisty, they're, they're, they are not liked, um, even though they're just trying to do their job, same as everybody else. Yeah, I mean, that kind of reference as well, the tweet by Claire Collins, who said, recently in theatre, I was asked by a surgeon if I was this bossy at home, actually. And then she's clarified after actually a fairly gentle inquiry, during which I 100% did not tell him what to do. I replied that, as usually bossy is a pejorative phrase used to describe women who know what they want when commanding or decisive, or some other such positive word could be used to describe a man, then yes, I probably am bossy. No idea if I made him, if I think, made him think on it at all, but I'm buggered if I'm going to ignore this stuff anymore about me or anyone else um but like those kind of that kind of language comes I mean I've heard my daughter I mean my daughter's five right I've heard her being described as bossy and I really hate it I mean that comes from uh, it's there's a real cultural thing about it and you know going back to kind of how um sometimes it kind of gets uh, knocked away like oh you know it's just kind of like harmless but actually those words have power and have meaning and there's like mm. an attrition to them over time but i think if we could like circle back to you know <laughs> the racism because there's still other examples <laughs> like yeah where uh, so there's the scottish minister um who tried to uh, enter a nursery and I just thought it was just kind of interesting because even at that age, they're being discriminated against. So they found it difficult. So this we're specifically referring to a BBC article on it so, um, about Hamza Yusuf. And he'd been trying to get in uh, the is it a daughter, was it a daughter into nursery? Yeah. And um, they'd made some fake applications with the same details, but with more kind of Caucasian sounding names up against <clears throat> their own name. And the... Uh, the, the Caucasian names kind of got kind of got through, whereas theirs didn't. I mean, can you make this stuff up? I mean, you can't make this stuff up, can you? But I mean, yeah. it's, that that discriminate. I mean, what is there to discriminate discriminate against when they're that small? Like, what is? I mean, what is the like? It's just so bizarre, isn't it? Scotland's a funny place. It's you know, I've I've lived in Scotland since I was four, and there was this very strong narrative through Scottish society. It's something that people would say out loud a lot. There's no racism in Scotland. There's no racism okay. in Scotland. And obviously you know, there's plenty of sectarianism and classism, but you know, people are really proud that you know we are, you know, Scottish exceptionalism. We're sort of better than other places, England. And uh, there's no racism <laughs> here. 
And then sort of in the early 90s, there was a sort of concerted effort by the UK government to settle a lot of asylum seekers, particularly in Glasgow, often in, you know, um, council housing that was, you know, in areas of quite severe deprivation. Um, And these are people who cannot work, who cannot sort of positively contribute to society. They're not legally allowed to in the way that a lot of the other sort of model minorities, which were the majority of ethnic um, people in Scotland before that, you know, the doctors and the restaurateurs and, and that kind of thing. And then, you know, as if by magic out came the racism as if it had been here all along you know and so again I think there's this idea in Scotland that that we are above that kind of thing because we are just such a fair tolerant country and Scotland is an incredibly fair tolerant country but you you know we are not in any way immune to this kind of thing and whether this was unconscious bias I think that's probably being generous because how can there be three afternoon places for the mum called Susan and not mm. three afternoon places for the mum with the sort of the, the typically Muslim name. I mean, that, that that's just, that just defies logic. Um, mm. And so I, I just think people need to do some real soul searching uh, on, you know, how tolerant a country are we really, you know, and... We hear it in the UK, don't we? Like sometimes they go, well, it's less racist than Europe. I've heard that mm. said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was okay. someone on Question Time who did say something like, oh, there is no racism in the UK. And everyone's like, listen, mate, what? you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone, I remember that being in the um, the news for quite a while, uh, you know, when this guy came up with that, because people were looking into like, why would this person think that there's no racism? Like, and, you know, obviously he, he was a white guy. I mean, what kind of racism is he really going to get? And um, I find this, uh, you know, in general, I think I've spoken to you, maybe yourself, through about, oh, you know, sometimes I get really sick of London. And um, maybe I want to move somewhere else but then I kind of half jokingly said I don't want to be the brown the only brown in the village like if I turn out if I move somewhere else but then I think well you know if I was white I'd never have that thought would I I would never even think about being the only you know white person in the village because there'd be other people there that would be of that complexion not that I do anything that's particularly brown it's just that these are the things that I would have to consider thinking about um if I was to move somewhere very very remote like somewhere like Scotland um no I'm just joking but um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's like uh, it, it, some things are just eye-opening like I think I was talking to a black friend of mine and I was saying like you know I think I was talking about our elective actually through show and I was saying you know you should think about going to Australia it's really fun it's a really lovely place and he's like listen mate I think there's something you haven't really noticed here there is a difference between me and you and I was like what's that and he was like I'm black and I was like come on man like it's not that big a deal and he goes no 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 there's a thing it's a thing traveling while black is a thing trust me there's some place I just can't go to and I was like Wow, I mean, yeah, that's that's crazy, isn't it? That like people's lives, even in this day and age, is affected in terms of where they want to live, where they want to go, and even like putting a kid into nursery. I mean, what's that about? That is that is completely crazy, isn't it? It's just completely crazy. Yeah, Rosie, it's interesting that you mention um, the idea about like what a country really thinks of themselves, right? So you know, you're saying that a lot of Scottish people may think that they are above um, above racism, but there was something that really you know uh, piqued my interest. Uh, exactly. So the something that really piqued my interest, it was a tweet from Selva and he seemed to be very upset about uh, what well, a national treasure, I guess, David Beckham. And um, he is working with Qatar uh, on their FIFA World Cup. And people are very upset because obviously Qatar is built on, you know, uh, the whole thing been built on getting people from Bangladesh, India uh, to build it up and uh, make it make this competition possible. And they are thinking, well, David Beckham should not be involved with that. What do you guys think? It's just, I mean, this is terrible. Um, 
but like whenever anything vaguely football related is mentioned, it's like my brain just kind of powers down. It's like if you were oh, going to be doing an EEG right now, it's like bilateral <laughs> diffuse slow wave activity, no reactivity whatsoever. So, so, but you know, as a general principle, mm. um, I don't know. It's just he's a celebrity. Um, how much do we judge celebrities by our own rules? Celebrities are going to do what celebrities do, um, mm. which is making money and making a name for themselves. And I guess for him, you know, he doesn't he doesn't play anymore, does he? No. no he um, so how does he keep himself in the news? Um, you know, how does he keep himself current? How does he keep mm. himself solvent? Um, and I'm, I'm guessing, I mean, does he do a lot of voiceovers and punditry and that kind no, of thing? No, he, he definitely can't do voiceovers because he's got this terrible voice. He does <laughs> own a... He does. He, <laughs> but he, he, he owns a football club in America, into Miami, into Miami, into Miami, mm, um, Miami which yeah. well, they're, they're terrible, but they're kind of, he's hoping that they'll get better and he's pumped quite a lot of money into them. But interestingly, mm. I was a big David Beckham fan as a kid. And um, I think my dad definitely like encouraged us to look up to him and Ian Wright because they both seem like absolute grafters. Like um, David Beckham had that story, didn't he, of his dad who'd like make him go to the garden and kick like a thousand free kicks. And, you know, he was like the example of someone who perhaps didn't have as much talent as um, like the Brazilian Ronaldo did at the time, but he still managed to, you know, achieve so, so much. And he was an amazing Manchester United legend. Although he uh, totally lost my respect when he cheated on Posh Spice. I mean, that was just, you know, that was the beginning <laughs> of the end. I mean, how could you do that? But the pig um, lady. Yeah. The pig lady, yeah. exactly. Oh. Why would you do that? Why would you, be, I mean, everyone fancied Posh Spice. Why would you do that? Maybe it's a mental trauma of being like, Dad, I want to come in. And Dad's like, you've got 782 more to do, lad. You know, that's got to mess with your head. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, maybe it was that. Okay, he could blame him then. Cheating with a pig lady. But um, the thing is, like, we're, with this, I mean, look, David Beckham's worth 450 million last I checked, right? That's a lot of money. But, you know, he's clearly wanting to get more money, right? And that's kind of what you see with a lot of behavior from these guys. And so to to put them on any other pedestal beyond a money-making machine is a bit a bit silly. And the whole thing reminded me of when I went to the hairdresser and I'd come back from a holiday holiday in Dubai. And the hairdresser said, oh, you look tanned. Where you been? I was like, oh, I went to Dubai. And he was like, oh, listen, you know, I'd never go to Dubai. It's such a terrible place. You know, they exploit so many people. They, they you know, they get people from the uh, South Asia and they build that country up. And I was like, you're talking about Bangladeshis, which is kind of where my family are from. And so um, I let him carry on. And I was thinking, mate, like, where do you think the, how do you think the UK came about? Like, how do you think mm. Britain was made? I mean, they've been exploiting countries for centuries and now that I'm, I'm not saying it's right or wrong but you know you can't be you can't be having a go at like one country if you and you still to some extent do it to this day mm. so, so to me ways. you know mm. yeah exactly in different ways right so David Beckham he's gone he's gone and helping this to Qatari guys I mean for me he might as well just joined another bit English team I mean that's what's happening he's, he's representing <laughs> another trip, country right? that's exploited I mean it's a true one of the more British things he's done of late personally <laughs> in my opinion uh, <laughs> golden you know, balls I don't, yeah. exactly I don't have anything against David Beckham at all um, you know I, fair enough like it's I always think to myself look it's very easy to judge people when you're not in their situation and so if, even if if I was worth 450 million and someone's going to give me more would I be strong enough to be like no I'm not going to I'm not going to do it I don't know maybe someone should test me out see <laughs> maybe get me to uh, represent Qatar and see where I go I mean I'd, I'd like to think I'd uh, not do it but who knows isn't it it's, yeah, a difficult... it's true I think if I had yeah. 450 million it sounds like so much money but I'd still manage to be broke after a couple of days I'd still, find, <laughs> I'd still find a way of spending it all like, be like it's a five week month oh no <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly 
Honestly, I'd be so boring without being like putting it to ISIS oh, and like tucking yeah. it away here and putting yeah. someone under the mattress. I'd be like making it rain for everyone. I'd just be like yeah. just shooting it and like as super soakers just shooting money out. I'd just be nuts. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this will bring us quite nicely onto something you want to talk about, through which is the HMRC being difficult. Oh, yeah, yeah, go yeah, on, yeah. Trisha. You you let you let HMRC have it. Go for it. <laughs> wow. Oh yeah. So that's because I wrote it. I wrote in, the, in our little comment section. HMRC are wankers. And that's because I saw a tweet from Milky T. He said, I got paid £1,400 this month as a surgical FY2. I should be taking home almost almost double that. I'm sick to death of working constantly, exhausting myself, doing long hours only for HMRC and the payroll department to F me over month after month and give me a wage I can barely live on. And I've lived that life. And the problem is, the next, the reply (laughs) has my vibe, which is, someone please tell me what I can do to sort this out. I feel so demoralized. <laughs> I've called HMRC, oh. I've called the payroll departments at my previous and current trust. I'm at my wits end. Has anyone had this problem when changing trust from F1 to F2? And friend, I have been there so many times and I hate it so much, you know, when I've changed trust. But it happened to me very recently when, so, um, I was, so I'm doing research and so I can actually do locum shifts to kind of supplement my income. But then when COVID hit, like I was asked to go back into clinical work. And so then my, my kind of contract changed again and he, he HMRC just lost their shit and then just text me like <laughs> everywhere. And so then one month where I was like, I'm going to get three lots of pay. I got like, oh my God, three lots of tiny bits of pay. And I lost my marbles. And the thing is, is that like, you're like dealing with all this other stuff. And now you have to call these people who are just like, have this kind of malignant indifference. And they're like, oh yes, I can see that you've been taxed at the highest rate. Like, yes. Okay. My mortgage comes out tomorrow though. So, uh, so can you, can you, can you sort Yes. So you're, you're like actually a 42 E when you should be like a 17 B. And I'm like, just, can I just have the money back? That's all I want. I don't care. I just, I just want this to be okay. Like, and they're like, do you do your own tax? No, I don't. I don't do my tax returns. It's P-A-Y-E. And so like, I'm getting louder and louder and louder. And they're like, oh, sorry, we can't hear you. And they start to do that. Oh, your reception. It's so stressful. So that second tweet, I totally get it because you just have to deal with these and it's just like why can't they get it right why does it well why does it have to change each time and Rosie you're saying in Scotland that's yet another thing that's better yet another thing in Scotland that you have a lead employer so you're in a deanery and there's one health board um, within that deanery that will be your lead employer and I don't know if it's the biggest one or the one you start with but they will pay you for the duration of your rotation so you may go to different hospitals and different health boards but you shouldn't have um, th- this issue um, with, with moving hospitals and then not getting paid or being paid wrongly um, I think it's still a bit tricky for less than full time people because you move to a different right. hospital, different rotation you might be a slightly different rotor band and it's always a bit trickier for less than full-time people but it seems like I mean I don't know how it works in practice because this is something that happened after I finished training but it seems so straightforward to implement for a group of mm. rotating individuals and arguably just reduces surely sort of the payroll hours of every health board so maybe it yeah. saves money for organizations too as well as sort mm. of, you know saving you crying down the phone to some HMRC (laughs) (laughs) telephone admin board. That's fair. I can just imagine they're like, yeah, yeah, it's a big problem. Yeah, we'll get to that as soon as possible. Yeah. And you're getting that squeaky voice and wobbly chin thinking, I'm going to go in a minute. I'm going to go in a minute. 
God. But you know, mortgage. I think in radiology, you, you are in one place literally for five years. So your pay does go from one place. I kind of have a similar, similar experience to you, Rosie. And it sounds like to a lot of Scottish people. But I do remember when I went to work at one of these big uh, children hospitals. Um, it was actually during the Christmas time and I took leave. So on the first week, it turned out my uh, DBS hadn't gone through. So me and this other guy put our DBS through and he had a Jewish name. And mine was, you know, obviously my name, which is, as Trusha knows, a very long name. Abul Khair Mohammed Imran Alaska. That's my entire name. Like very, very it. long. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Um, so then, um, it so makes you sound like you drive a Cadillac. I don't know if that's racist to say, but it makes you sound really rich. <laughs> no, no. I'm, well, I am, yeah. No, I'm just yeah, joking. But um, so, the, so what happened was that... Um, and we you know we both went up to the offices and we both put in our application for the DBS and then I went off for a week on holiday and then you know I came back and mine hadn't come back yet and this guy's did and then it took about three weeks and then we went on like Christmas holiday New Year's and I literally had maybe two weeks of actually doing <gasps> the placement because it right. came too late and it was so obvious what happened it was like you know his name was fine it went through and I and everyone's like and it was getting so embarrassing because the consultant's like oh can you go do the ultrasound that actually I can't and the reason I can't is because I haven't got my DBS through and they're like oh and you straight away they think you're a dodgy person I was like no 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 and you're trying to explain it's like yeah anyway look just I don't you're going to have to do the ultrasound I'm not allowed to touch I'm technically not allowed to touch anyone I have to just sit in this room and watch you guys report so yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah it is sad times it is sad times I guess I kind of worked in what do you consider that as working in your favour it doesn't sound like it just kind of uh... Uh, yeah I don't know I mean it was a tough job that one I mean this is probably why someone like me doesn't do peds because you know uh, you know patients are difficult anyway peds patients are hard and then when they you know when you get young patients who are sick like that who are consistently sick i just found that really really difficult to deal with and i knew very very quickly this is not for me like you know you just kind of i don't know how you guys felt doing what you did but there were just certain bits of it like i just thought no not for me not for me and actually msk was the only one where i thought I want to go back to that. That was actually good oh, yeah, fun, you know, putting a bit of storage into some old lady's hip. I'm doing that, you know, that's going to be my life. <laughs> I felt my calling. Yeah, yeah, I felt my calling there. It's God's um, work. Yeah. <laughs> um, His hips don't lie. So, like, um, yeah. uh, talk about absences and stuff, right? Oh, is this yeah. a terrible segue? I'm really sorry, Imran. No, but, no, it's good. No, it's, it's so, lovely. I love so, it. So, that, so there, there are... There are two ends of the spectrum to do with absences that we should discuss. On one side, there is um, the person who took two days, two, who was off for two days in 12 months. There's a tweet by mm. Eden Starforth, which sounds like an intergalactic. Uh, oh, that's um, a nice name. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. he was talking about, um, oh, I've got these ones. So, uh, so Eden Starforth actually talked about a neurosurgeon who has been forced to take annual leave as he hadn't taken any in three years and he went into a medical course. <laughs> <laughs> Someone else who had been off sick for two, on two occasions for a, a single day each time in a 12-month period, and then they got sent a warning letter. So, mm. well, what do you guys think about those two things? I mean, it, it's interesting. Like, today on Twitter, people were linking to, I think... I think it's just that all of the Royal Colleges of Surgeons put together their sort of recruitment criteria um, for core surgical training. Oh, and, you know, and it's a scoring and your know, scoring is also a bit controversial, isn't it? Because it may implicitly favour people who have, um, you know, greater access to either money to go on courses or, you know, when they were younger to, to do sports or music or whatever. Mm. But, you know, this was stuff like if you've been on courses, you got eight points. And if you'd got, you know, a master's in education, you'd get six points versus, you know, a local course, you'd get two points. And, you know, all that kind of thing, which I think is pretty standard for um for any kind of specialty scoring system, but it was things like, you know, 
the number of cases you'd, you'd had in your logbook that, that would score you points. And you can just imagine if you're constantly, um, you know, having to be in this mindset where you're always thinking about your CV and, and thinking about your logbook and thinking about your publications and thinking about the courses you'd been on and thinking about the tutorials you'd run and the course you'd organised, it'd be very, very easy to think, I've got six weeks a year that's essentially trainee SPA time that I could just use to fill my, my, my CV with point-worthy mm. stuff. Um, mm. And I can completely see if you're in a deanery that's full of incredibly competitive people, mm. um, that kind of thing, it might just seem that I can't afford to take a week off because mm. everybody else will be using that week to, to, to run their course for aspiring surgical, you know, FYs or, or, or you know, working on their publications. And and I guess that's, that's, I mean, you need an objective system to score people, but you know, when you're doing the job, how much time do you have to do any of this kind of thing? So you may well look on your annual leave as career development time. But where does that leave you in the broader sense? I mean, that's not going to be healthy. Um, yeah. yeah, it's nuts, isn't it? I mean, it's quite elite. Yeah. It's kind of elitist in its own way, isn't it? Because then, you know, I guess the people who are less than full time or kind of maybe the people who, because you're still kind of junior, aren't you? Like, and so you need, you need the cash to pay for those courses or you need to be savvy enough to kind of get the study leave, which in itself can be quite kind of laborious, can't it? I remember finding that quite difficult. You had to kind of do this weird, it's like Schrodinger's study leave. Like you had to kind of discuss the course, get it agreed verbally, but then you had to go to it and then get it paid for. And then you'd have to go retrospect and get them to pay for it. And then you get the money sent back to you sometime afterwards. So you need to have the capital to begin with. And I wasn't, I wasn't a kind of, you know, I was, I wasn't really an asset. No, I wasn't a cash rich I mean, I'm still not cash rich now, but like, I didn't have zero percent interest credit card. I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, if you have the credit rating for it. What about? Yeah, anyway. So, but but I can kind of see how those those kind of things. If you're looking at it, it all sounds pretty costly to me. But um, I guess the case. I mean, they kind of fall into that trap, isn't it? Of like, I guess they're always working, always working, always working, and then when you're not working, you're kind of working. I mean, just it's what a life, great, is it? Yeah, it doesn't sound nice. you know, anaesthetists are obviously always around surgeons because that's, you know, the, the point of our existence. And Oof. there is that culture, especially in certain surgical subspecialties that, yeah, you know, your list is finished, but there's something interesting going on in emergency theatre. Why would you go home? Surely you mm. want to go and even just stand in the corner and watch because you can't scrub because the person on call is scrubbed. But mm. if you're not watching then you know, how committed even are you? And I think yeah, certain course. departments maybe have that culture um, mm. where actually they would say, no, you finished. This will come up when you're on call. Go home and you know do mm. your home things. But other units would be like, oh, who's that slacker who just went home, even though there's a super interesting thing going on in theatre. So I don't know. Maybe there's some departments that just really foster that uh, that presenteeism uh, culture. But I've seen that happen between surgeons as well. Like sometimes, like the I, I think one place I worked, the on-call surgeon had finished, and then um, they were meant to have gone home, but they went into the next surgery. Uh, basically taking away that surgery time from the person who's on call and then they had a big fight over it. Oh, God. And it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets really nasty. It gets really nasty. I mean, from what I saw, and that, that's that's one of the days. I mean, I never thought I was going to do surgery, but when I saw that kind of behavior, I just thought, you know, like for me anyway, I just thought, you know what? Like when you're when you're younger, you look at like the seniors and you think, do I want to be where they are? And when I saw that kind of behavior between each other, I thought, 
I'm not going to go into a place where people are going to be like that, where they're going to be fighting each other and, you know, being a bit underhand. You know, mm. part of you does still want to be a good person by the time you get out. And uh, thankfully for us... You don't have to like, be a black belt in Taekwondo just to survive in your department. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You don't want to be doing that kind of stuff. You just want to go in and do your job and not have problems with people. And um, I, I noticed that was happening a lot. Maybe I was just ha- happened to work in not a very nice place, but um, it just seemed that the surgeons were at each other a lot. Like even, I think even an F2 managed to scrub in and they'll oh what's that f2 scrubbing in for i'm meant to be the i'm meant to be the rare just not right how does this happen oh they're just cozying up with a consultant and then all these excuses are flying out and it was just like oh you know yeah it's just gross isn't it it's just gross yeah the funny thing is is that when you're talking about the surgeons having their little altercation like i can imagine it kind of because like you know how like surgeons get kind of like um this they're kind of like supposed to be the jocks or like the kind of i don't know masculine (laughs) but but they're not other but they're still doctors right so they're still (laughs) nerds so you know that when they fight it's still a bit like oh their hands together and oh (laughs) you took my list oh but you know they're supposed to be like oh we're so like oh you know we're going spend like punishing surgery 16 hours but actually you know that they're fine. It's like, oh, you, you stood in that theatre. So I don't know, Thrusha. I've, oh. I've, I think recently I read, um, well, like that surgeon who went and did a home visit. Do you see that? That was terrible. And then there was the other, the, there was that surgeon who went and actually attacked another surgeon because of over oh, practice. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, stabbed him in his home. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's what I meant by home visit. Yeah, I mean, that's not, that's not something <laughs> that's you do. That's so funny. <laughs> Sorry. Was it over private practice? I never knew what the motivation was. There was, yeah, apparently so. Ooh. It was to do with uh, it was to do with this job plan. So I think um, that job plan <laughs> that guy had was very, very um, conducive yeah. to uh, being able to do lots of private work, and the other person wasn't happy about it, flagged it, and obviously they went in favour of the more senior person. Yeah. And then obviously being angry and slightly weird, he decided to go visit him at home, and oh things kind God. of escalated. But then I've read other stories as well, like another, I think another bunch of surgeons who got stuck in a. a corridor they didn't get along with each other and they actually knocked the other one's teeth out it could be no anesthetist actually if I remember correctly yeah I have to look I it up I do remember but, um, that story I think yeah, it might be anesthetist yeah. yeah I think it was um, anesthetist versus surgeon yeah and um, I'd have loved to have seen that my dad was like talking about like the decorum of doctors and I actually used that example of the st- uh, surgeon stabbing the other surgeon and my dad was like did, mm. did he kill him then and I was like no and he's like what kind of surgeon was he then like you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like <laughs> <laughs> dad <laughs> like, didn't couldn't oh okay anyway yeah I mean you know sure I mean th- that, those kind of situations where you kind of expect the letter of the Lord to come in I mean someone's gone and done something quite quite bad but then with something else we saw that came up this week was to do with Twitter pylons you know, when there is an altercation between one another and Twitter pylons happen. And now they're saying that this is going to be something that can actually be reported and dealt with uh, according to the law. So, yeah, what do you guys make of it? Because we've seen, I mean, a lot of our show ends up talking about Twitter pylons. Uh, Twitter pylons are what we feed on. When Twitter pylon happens, through is messaging me, I'm messaging him. Oh, check yeah. it out, man. We're going to be talking uh, about this. If they what make them think? illegal, what are we going to talk about? I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. We're going to run out of things to talk about. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Pylons. I think they're two different kinds of pylons, right? That I think someone alluded to in a tweet recently. But um, there's ones where someone says something that's a bad opinion and everyone's saying that, dude, that's a bad opinion. Uh, and is that a pylon? Or is a py- and then there's the other kind of pylon where, you know, parents supposed, uh, you know, WhatsApp groups have coordinated with one another to try and get someone cancelled. Yeah. I mean, that's a different kind of pylon, isn't it? If that mm. if such a, a group were to exist. A fictional pylon, I think. We yeah, call yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 So what is a pylon and when do we step in? 
I mean, I think, I mean, you shouldn't have favourites, but, you know, I think Zach Ferguson is pretty much the funniest person on Twitter. And I loved mm. his uh, <laughs> meme taking this um, down to exactly what you say. Is it somebody coordinating um, an attack on someone? Is it somebody with, you know, thousands and thousands of followers retweeting with some kind of snarky comment about some poor, poor F1 or, or you know, put upon GP as, look at this opinion, this is absolutely ridiculous. Or is it someone saying something that is manifestly unreasonable by any kind of common opinion? And lots of individuals individually say, I disagree with what you say. I mm. do not think it is reasonable um, or possible for the latter to be in any way considered um, a criminal or, you know, uh, worthy of being chucked off a social media platform. If you are going to say something uh, and you're entitled to say it and it doesn't breach the T's and C's of a website, fine. But other people are entitled to reply to that. And if you don't like it, um, mm. discuss, debate. Um, yeah. But but why why is that a pile on just because, you know, what your feelings are hurt? And this this isn't to excuse cyberbullying or, you know, telling people you're, they're going to be dox them or, you know, yeah. hurt their children or any kind of, you know, obviously completely unacceptable things. But just because a lot of people disagree with your opinion, um, it, I, I don't know how much you can really claim that that is something that needs to be legislated against. I think people just want to just kind of have, do they want to air their terrible opinion and they want everyone to agree with it? And if anyone disagrees, they're like, oh, it's a, and it kind of reminds me, I know I've said this about a million times, but kind of it to me is like the whole, this our generation's political correctness gone mad. And it's just the same thing. They just kind of use that as some kind of, as if like, even like political correctness, like the idea of it is, I, uh, I, I feel like it's just where people get called out for essentially just trying to care about other people's feelings and they, they disagree with that. Like, what? And when, when you kind of expose... No, no, but I mean, some people are egg, trying to egg you on, right? I mean, do you remember this week I I, I went out to eat somewhere nice and um, they gave, you know, and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll take whatever the signature dish is. And they, they turned out with like... It was literally sushi with mozzarella, melted mozzarella cheese on it. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what is that? I can't believe I have to pay for this. And um, I ate it, I mean, because I, I, I don't like to waste my food. And um, I tweeted about it as like any sane person would. And I thought, well, you know, hopefully it'd be a lot of people that understand where I'm coming from. And most people kind of got it. I mean, mozzarella cheese on sushi is a little bit weird, isn't weird. it? Yeah. But then one person, do you remember? I think his name was Matt. And he messaged back saying, so what if people want to have cheese on their sushi? As long as it's part of a balanced diet, what's your problem? Surely you eat things that people don't agree with. And I thought, wow. And obviously I messaged him back saying, thanks, Matt. Uh, but I kind of got the feel. And then I think he went after someone else who's also on that thread saying, oh, you know, what do you mean sacrilegious? What do you mean by that or something? And I was like, this guy just wants to have a bit of a fight, doesn't he? I mean, he just he just turned up. I don't know where he turned up from. He's not connected to anyone that I know. He's not the manager of the restaurant. Yeah, I think, <laughs> maybe. I think he really likes yeah, mozzarella maybe. and his sushi. I think that's essentially what it is. He's yeah, just maybe really that's invested. what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I it. wonder if the mozzarella... Uh, yeah, I, I genuinely do not do not endorse anyone going to have mozzarella and sushi. It's like it's the gross, worst idea it? ever. It's, it's, but, it's just gross, yeah. The, I mean, yeah. there are some things... I mean, there are some threads that do seem to kind of like um, generate a lot of activity and a lot of responses. Mm. So, like, there, there, was, there was a thread which was about... Um, as as medical students, how you should be shadowing all kinds of different. Uh, oh yeah, Rosie, what do you think of this? Yeah, and 
Uh, what was the re- there was a response, wasn't there, by Hassan? I feel like I should read it out, right? Yeah, go on. You, you read. So, yeah, so the original tweet was, um, should medical students uh, shadow HCAs, nursing staff, et cetera, et cetera, try and appreciate their their work and their point of view when they're asked for certain things? Um, and then Hassan um, actually uh, tweeted back, um, which is, it was a subtweet, essentially, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah because it. medics should spend a week each shadowing nurses, HCAs, porters, the domestics, the... WRVS volunteers, the operators running switchboard, and another week with the hopper driver because it's otherwise impossible to learn to respect them. Thanks, Notorious BEG. Yeah, good one. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, yeah Rosa, what do you think? I mean, uh, is there is that the way to start respecting other people? By having to shadow I, I, I think they do? that, I mean, there's when our students come to ICU, they spend a day um, mm. in a bed space with an ICU nurse and they see what the mm. nurses do. And actually, so much of ICU, like sedation holds and, you know, nurse led physiotherapy, you know, that's something that they will that they will only see by shadowing a nurse. Um, things like, you know, they get a chance to make up drugs, which you often don't get to do as a medical student. You know, there's value there. And they also hopefully get to get an idea of what the, our nurses do, maybe not at the moment with COVID, but in terms of, you know, supporting families and they can get tips and tricks about how to help families who are you know um uh, really struggling in a difficult emotional place but i, I think that that the principle behind this seems to be that medical students doctors are this homogenous privileged social group who do not know what it is like to um work in a in a you know less well-paid job with perhaps less autonomy and the only way that they can be given empathy is by spending time shadowing someone and i mean there, there's so many uh fault with that premise um you know if you are somebody devoid of empathy and who has no respect for anyone else and what they do shadowing them is going to do nothing for you i think you know it would be great um like for our trainees to spend a time uh, with microbiology to see what happens down in the microbiology lab that's not to give them empathy with microbiologists because either <laughs> they respect the microbiologists or they don't um and i said th- i think just this idea that medical students are unique amongst all healthcare professionals uh, in training and that they have no capacity to empathize with people unless they're literally putting their shoes is kind of pretty offensive yeah totally mm. right and do you think it'll make a difference to those that don't yeah i mean they're still gonna feel like that aren't they i mean mm. if, they're, if they're kind of that way inclined i mean look the truth is just be nice to each other that's all you've got to do you don't need to be walking around in each other's shoes all day you don't need to yeah. be doing everything under the sun um just be nice yeah I mean, that's don't be all a dick we have to be yeah. yeah that's what we keep saying on this just don't be a dick that's all you've got to yeah. do that's nina's um, line isn't it yeah yeah it's, that's nina's line isn't it yeah we, we don't talk about nina on the other girl oh anymore. sorry 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 yeah we don't talk about those two <laughs> they cancel uh, they cancel me- <laughs> uh, move, so shall we move on yeah, to move, the other? Yeah, moving swiftly on. So there was this whole thing. So I, I quite like to frequent Reddit. And one of the subreddits that I have enjoyed is Junior Doctors Reddit. Um, and there was a thread. Well, the I didn't actually see the thread in question. Um, I turned up to Reddit Junior Doctors um, too late. UK. Yeah, too late. And they locked it. It become private. I think it's now been reopened. I have to check. But anyway, um, the, the reason why I become locked, I'd been informed, is because their um, thread had been published in The Times and the, with the headline, Doctors Plotting BMA Coup to Force Strike. Now, uh, another reason that we have like a privileged guests on is so that they might have subscriptions to said newspaper articles and lazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very middle class has a, a Times subscription. So can you tell us what this is all about? <laughs> 
the time subscription, so you pay them the amount of money every oh, month, no. and it gives me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Can I just point out? I have a subscription to the Times and the Guardian for balance. Oh, okay, to um, balance. Oh, oh nice. Good, good. For balance, yeah, yeah. you very, practice very what balanced. you preach. No echo chambers here. Well, good. Absolutely, absolutely. It's all about keeping it broad. You know, I'm interested nice. in everyone's opinion. Um, wow. But yeah, I mean, it, it's difficult to know from what was in the Times article, but it does sound like a group of junior doctors on this thread were talking about pushing candidates in each um, sort of BMA constituency um, on a platform to uh, to push for strike action. Um, mm. Saying that, you know, the, the, the margins between the, the winner and the, the runner-up was often fewer than 10 votes. And so if we really go for it, we should be able to get a majority who favour strike action on BMA council or BMA board or, or whatever. And, you know, I, I think that is that is what democracy is. And I know strike action obviously has a huge amount of pros and cons going for mm. it but I, I'm not quite sure why it's considered so controversial because surely that's the point of a union and you know I'm a member of the BMA but I'm not you know politically active within it but surely every big union has different different factions different groups different opinions mm. different you know so, so I'm not quite sure why it's so big of a story I mean, I think, I mean, I can read so much where it says the move has been coordinated an online message board and aims a, to force a pay rate increase. Members claim their pay has fallen by 30% during the past decade. I mean, that's true, isn't it? I mean, if you, if anyone else lost their pay by up to 30%, surely it's not a bad idea to try and do something about it. And the fact that people are talking about it is not a terrible thing, but... I guess when it becomes doctors and striking, it just has a negative connotation because obviously people feel as though we're probably a, a certain sect of um, society that should not be able to strike regardless of what's what's going on and what how we're treated. Mm. Um, you were saying that, which is, when you, yeah. it's kind of uh, yeah. lazy journalism as well, isn't it? They've just kind of copied in like a, a thread from Reddit. Like These mm. are all just kind of anonymous accounts for people who, you know, are uh, just kind of venting as well. Like how much, oh, just... Uh, just genuinely that that kind of that kind of journalist is the kind of journalist that i would probably be i'll leave it to the last minute and then be like okay done the article right like, okay yeah i have i have give me a second i literally ready, ready. copy paste yeah. <laughs> everything across that like, done done the article's done we've got a really great story put yeah. it through and then go back to watching netflix or something you yeah. know well, i mean um, so we touched on the topic mm. of pay and there was a, a, a another thread that kind of generated a lot of heat shall we say so there was a thread mm. by dean dr dean and uh, he mm. said i'm looking at cleaners local services and they want 22 pounds per hour Fair enough, that's their worth. But why as a doctor am I only earning £16? By the way, I have nothing against cleaners earning this. My question is how doctors have become so devalued over time. P.S. It's not a vocation. I pay rent and bills. There was a lot, yeah. of res- a lo- load of responses. I mean, you just know that's going to be. As soon as you're going to say something like that, you're going to have a you're going to have a lot of discussion, isn't it? I mean, what, what else is going to happen? Anyway, yeah, what, yeah. What do you guys think? I mean, the sentiment here. It is difficult, isn't it? Because I think, you, you know, you need to know your worth. And the, the, the thing that people always say is if you call somebody out to look at your fridge, if it breaks down, it's a £100 call-out fee and £30 per hour. And I don't know, it's that constant age-old, possibly irreconcilable uh, tension mm. between medicine being a vocation that is practised by people who have this intrinsic privilege in society versus medicine being a job that carries with it a huge amount of responsibility and therefore should be remunerated a- accordingly. And I don't know mm. if that tension's ever going to be resolved. And I guess the thing is, like, you know, I am of the vintage that I got a maintenance grant when I was at university. You know, I got two and a half grand a year, which mm. covered my rent because my rent was £160 a month. Um you know, um, whereas now, 
and I don't even want to think how much, I mean, I need to start thinking about it because my daughter's going to university soon, but, you know, uh, what rent <laughs> is and, and student loans and having to pay all that back, you know. So I think, you know, we've just moved away from this idea of doctors being incredibly financially privileged, especially early on in their career. And if they mm. are going to, to, I guess, you know, it's capitalism, your, your labor has a worth attached to it. And is it wrong to know your worth? No, I think, uh, yes and no, exactly. I mean, I think... Um, I've said this before that, you know, if you think that saving lives and uh, healthcare and stuff is a, a premium service that needs to get paid more, then you're living, you're not living in the in the same country or world that we are. Because, you know, I mean, if you really want to be rich, you've got to start a business, you've got to maybe be a politician and maybe, I don't know, take a few, uh, you know, handshakes and uh, make a few extra, uh, extra buck. Uh, and this kind of thing, like this constant idea that, you know, you're worth, we should all know that, um, you know, if someone's willing to turn up to work for £16 an hour, that's how much you're worth. That's just the way it is. And all of us are because we don't really have a choice. It's not It's not that kind of market, right? Oh, actually, hang on. This person wants to be a paediatrician. Oh, great. You know, good luck with making money there. Um, I might have to cut that <laughs> off. But, um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I, I just think that, you know, we're, we're all in it. We all kind of know that it doesn't work. The world doesn't work in the way that it values human life and uh, illness as much as you think it should. And therefore, if you're good at anything else, like if you happen to rap or sing then you're probably gonna do better there isn't it if you want if money's what you're after it's not really the money-making scheme it's a not there's a lot of good things about medicine don't get me wrong like once you're a consultant there's earning potential there depending on what kind of consultant you are and also you cannot underestimate how amazing it is to have a job no matter what True. really happens really right? i think you know they're on the other yeah. side of it i mean it used to be shall we say i mean not that i have much experience of it but from my understanding from speaking to kind of older colleagues it used to be way way easier to make quite a lot of money within medicine and as time has gone on that that would seem to be seem to have eroded with time and i guess it Mm. kind of seems like particularly painful like you know you see stuff in the press like at the moment there's this whole kind of sleaze stuff to do with owen patterson the mp right and so Mm. shivani replied so this guy was getting um money uh from sponsors and then kind of basically like almost like cash for favors and lobbying on their behalf and it was, it was getting like nine thousand pounds a month for it on top of his actual wage Ooh. and can you imagine getting nine grand a month, a month <laughs> on top of what he's already getting paid which is you know and you know we know that mp pay is kind of done by some external review that's what they always say isn't it or oh, mp pay is externally reviewed and it's like well, get them to review doctor's pay get them to review doctor's pay <laughs> but, but they don't um but like this guy and the, uh, he kind of has gotten away and you know all, all the kind of Tories kind of like circling behind him to like shield and we know that I mean this guy's just resigned because the amount of stink that has been but for a while it looked like he was trying to kind of like better just trying to shrug it off but it was interesting mm. because Shivani was like saying about how if you looked at the role of the pharmaceutical industry and I remember like you know a mutual friend of ours you know when his dad was a was a GP and he used to get taken on holiday by like reps and mm. stuff and you know mm. um sound amazing or you know and I, yeah. I remember us listening to one boss you know who was saying oh you know we used to be flown business class to like new york and whatever and it was awesome the perks were amazing whereas now like if i want to go to a conference like well actually some of the consultants do get stuff like paid for whatever but like you know it's um it does feel like there are fewer perks and stuff and when you look at those guys you're like oh okay well some people are doing mm. it um i guess mm. when i was a medical student they had a drug lunch and they were giving away and i, I didn't drive at the time so i didn't take one like these magnetic like um green flashing lights that you could stick to the top of your car and like power up through the cigarette lighter socket so when you're on call you could, like, like a 1970s cop just like stick it on the roof of your car and like go through traffic i kind of love that idea 
Yeah. How cool would that be? I wouldn't want the green one though, I want the blue one because I don't think the uh, the green I wouldn't feel quite so, so legit. But I guess you'd have to wear the you'd have to use the green one, is it? Like is that well, allowed? The green ones, the, the, yeah, no, that so doctors doctor. on call yeah. are allowed to mm. have a green light, and it doesn't give you mm. sort of you know privileges. But I think you know people would like who's that cool guy with a green yeah. flashing light? I better let him pass. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it's funny how you chose him for that because it'd only be a bloke who'd be like, so ridiculous <laughs> I totally would if I could get away with it but I've got an orange car so it looked like a really cheese and onion uh, kind of combo yeah, yeah it looked yeah. like one of those yeah. like, V-Tech toy well but- I, I did allude to this on our Philip, Philip Lee episode but I think he got a green light for a while did he? I remember yeah. asking where oh, he got yeah. it yeah yeah and uh, he got it from eBay and eBay was a fairly newish thing at the time um, but yeah it's uh, yeah it's this thing I mean like now I know that reps they can pretty much buy you, they buy you sandwiches and if you're lucky you might get the M&S ones so i guess there's that as a perk now. honestly mate you know my wife used to work in the city and the stuff like sometimes she came home with like brand new ray-bans i think ghd like um you know that the whole hair hair dryer thing it, these things were like worth hundreds of pounds because their company was working with um with those companies and they just literally used to give them loads of stuff and i was thinking oh you know i'm just happy to get an m in a sandwich mate like <laughs> <Yeah>. you know <laughs> give me an m in a sandwich and i'm happy that's what that's what we've been boiled down to isn't it so, like, see like 40 uh, 40 medical students like hungrily like watching the, or what's the talk on the talks on <laughs> <laughs> oh the talks on <laughs> is it worth it yeah it's worth it okay they're like, oh, come in <laughs> for those sandwiches the whatsapp groups go wild and everyone just heads down to get their kind of like, M&S oh basic sandwich yeah, <laughs> there's exactly. lunch there's lunch there's lunch everyone <laughs> bless him bless him have those sandwiches you've earned yeah, yeah. It's, t- it's tough to understand like what, it, what it's like to win especially when you're junior uh, but there was someone else on twitter that they're having a little bit of difficulty to understand what the grades of um you know doctors are um yes. guys what is an imt3 again what does that oh. mean what's an imt3 oh, do you know what i'm referring to yes yeah <laughs> i think it's somebody who doesn't know anything about primary care <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah or thinks they know a lot about primary care i don't know, I don't know where to put them yeah um yeah. She's, getting, she's very uh, powerful. So we're talking about Claire Gerardo, aren't we, right? Yeah, Claire Gerardo. And yeah, so, so let's, let's quote it because, you know, we've been told off for this before, haven't we? So uh, there was a tweet. Origi- the original tweet is by Tara George. It was on the 31st of October and it said, been asked by local hospital to run a session for new IMT3 doctors on the topic of what GPs actually do and how to not piss them off. I have to come up with an engaging and, but not sweary title, have tons of material for content, but would love some title help, please, med Twitter. So, you know, like this is an earnest kind of question and Claire Gerardo has come come in happy to help oh are you oh good on claire all right let's see what you got here i think most important thing is to understand that a gp is not a junior doctor answering the question that nobody's been asking what's an imt3 no question mark what the hell (laughs) (laughs) and where do you even start i mean this got me vexed i didn't i couldn't even i mean i've blocked her because she this stuff I I feel like she's been sent specifically to like trigger me I see that stuff and I just lose my marbles even though like I'm, I've n- I didn't do the IMT thing I, fe- I felt like empathy anger is that a thing I don't know I mean was she trying to be funny though because that is quite a funny tweet when you when you <sighs> juxtapose it with the first one um, you know, mm. I'm going to raise awareness for this group. What's this group? You know, it is almost yeah, quite funny. Uh, so I, yeah. I, I, I missed it. Was it an attempt at humour? I don't know. 
I don't know. I'm too stupid. <laughs> or you, I, mean, I think maybe you just saw Claire at Gerardo and you're like, angry! Oh, she's yeah. angry! Well, Pavlov, <laughs> Pavlov's dog <laughs> just was like, straight away. <laughs> I, I always try and give her a bit of time. I mean, I've, I've uh, mentioned a few times that she did help me a huge amount uh, at a very difficult point in my life. So as a, when I was a patient of hers, she was absolutely brilliant. But yeah, I mean, watching a tweet sometimes and the amount of um, grief she uh, brings onto herself <laughs> is kind of almost comical sometimes. And this is, um, I mean, she wasn't I, the only one. I think there's someone I used to work with who said, uh, you know, it's an old core cool medical trainee, I think. Oh, uh, yes, you know, so yeah, clearly, yeah. you know, people are a bit out of touch with um, what's really going in hospital. But that is probably the problem. I mean, that highlights yeah. the issue. No one knows what anyone else is doing and they're all having a go at each other. Yeah. Um, Can you know, I try and explain what it is? Uh, because yeah, I, go for it. I yeah. think they're trying to like devise it. So like... It, so it used to be core medical training where you do for the first two years and then you sub-specialize, so you choose cardiology pre- preferably, but you know, you might choose one of the less good specialties, like <laughs> respiratory or something. Or just but, save yourself the hassle and go into radiology, but anyway, yeah, you're carrying yeah, on. Yeah, but then you wouldn't do, you wouldn't do CMT, would you? So, you'd, so then you do ST training for radiology, right? From F1, F2. Yeah, straight in, done, CMT, forget all that stuff. CMT, yeah. you, have to you have to sub-specialize for medicine and then the creme de la creme would sub-specialize further for cardiology. But anyway, so like so what they decided was that that bunch, wasn't, wasn't yeah. quite <laughs> it wasn't quite enough and so I mean the cynics would say that essentially they wanted to kind of continue they wanted more SHOs within medicine and so they just made CMT longer and they made it into IMT but they, they argued it as IMT is kind of like a junior registrar year where you know because they said oh CMTs don't necessarily feel that confident could that not just be because supervision during CMT is so terrible and that you know mentorship between medicine no it's obviously because the problems with the junior doctors so let's make them train for longer and so then they had uh, they invented IMT3 and so then they just prolonged the limbo by, by which mm. like CMTs get treated like junior registrars well they were treated like junior registrars anyway you know act up and now the IMT3s are kind of like that but embodied um, but it's just funny because someone Jamie Wallace who's also someone who I worked with d- didn't know mm. what that was but uh, it kind of makes me feel kind of sad because like I imagine that must be so difficult like medical training sucks anyway and like they just made it this longer and I kind of hoped what the, that year would be would be like half a year like uh, an ITU or something where like you'd be around people who are like you'd be like oh this is what training's supposed to be like oh wow like people like teach you stuff <laughs> because like you'd see I remember like as a CMT seeing the anaesthetic ITU trainees and they'd just you'd see them and the consultant would be behind them and they'd be like little kangaroos in the pouch like they'd be like oh like yeah, they'd, <laughs> they'd far away. and they'd look so happy because they'd be like and they'd say all this like grown up stuff and you know that they had the confidence to say all that grown up stuff because the adult was behind them right whereas at this <laughs> you're just like this you're like a turtle like stranded on this really like this really long beach and then you have to just like hobble back to the ocean <laughs> and they'd like turn around their consultant and be like is that right Kev and he'd be like yeah yeah because yeah, first name terms yeah exactly wow, yeah, and he'd be amazing. like wow like I haven't seen my educational supervisor <laughs> since induction like you know <laughs> So well, it sounds like anesthetists are so nice. I mean, if anesthetists yeah, right. unhappy with someone, what do they do? Do they do they do like do they do they do anything? Do they, I mean, what? How do they deal with it? Because I, I I had an altercation with well, not me, someone else I knew had a massive altercation with an um, uh, anesthetic doctor once, and um, no that person actually had to end up leaving the trust. Yeah. Um, <gasps> well, because yeah, it yeah, with it you. No, no, it wasn't because... <laughs> so basically, this person had a history of being a little bit aggressive. Oh, okay. And then I think they finally took it out on one of my colleagues who went to an ultrasound. And they said, like, if you don't do this, I'm going to mince you out in front of the family or something. Yeah. And I'm going to absolutely ruin you. And that, you know, my, my mate was very gutsy. And he went, you can't talk to me like that. 
you can't talk to me like that. I'm going to take this up. And the guy was like, do what you want or something like that. And he went really angry. And then I just remember this because I suddenly, we've got a tannoy system and said, can Dr. Laska come see the CPD, uh, TPD bus? And I was like, oh great, what have I done now? Like I felt last, I felt two weeks ago. Why are we still talking about this? Oh, so I walked to the office. I look, uh, you know, I don't know what it is this time. Uh, you know, what is it? And she was like, no, 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 I need to get your opinion on this person because this happened. And apparently you had an altercation. I was like, yeah, they did. And then it turned out that they were building up this like, uh, like, um, yeah, case, and then the guy, uh, the, or the person, had to leave. Um, leave, but yeah, I mean, that I thought, you know, but it sounds like actually, in general, maybe maybe Nistis and everyone are actually quite nice. I mean, well, what's the worst? You know, that sounds like really lovely, like being in a pouch and all that. I mean, cardiologists hurt. <laughs> well, I think anaesthetics is um, maybe not so much with ICU, but in anaesthetics, to a degree, the job you do as a new start is the same as the job you do when you're a seasoned consultant. You know, you're seeing your patients, you're going to theatre, you're getting your drugs, you're putting your patient off to sleep, you're waking them up. You're, you just obviously do it to a different degree of, 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 of competency, proficiency and finesse as time mm-hmm. goes on. And so you've got that kind of, you know, person to person mentorship that's, you know, directly, which can mm. make for a really intense day, actually, if it's you and the consultant or you and the doctor in training. You know, mm. it's it's like eight hours of just just the two of you, like oh, yeah. trying to find stuff to talk about. Um, <laughs> but but you know, so it's just a completely different setup, isn't it? So that I think really fosters that mm. that sort of closeness, and so we we possibly just get to know our our doctors in training more. And I don't know if it's quite similar in radiology because you're you're running lists together, and if you're doing an ultrasound list with a trainee, you know, is is it is it just different when you're in a ward and you're going off to clinic and you're leaving your team to to run the ward? Mm. And it's just you're just that physically separated. You know, you're yeah. not in the pouch. Rosie, what do you do if you come across a trainee who doesn't drink coffee though? Then what do you do? Well, I don't drink coffee, so I'll be like, <gasps> what? Yeah. You're that person. Whoa, I know, whoa, I know. Okay, I, it's it's really. I, I, I I'm just gonna alienate all my colleagues here you know, do you not think that the coffee thing is just getting a bit silly and some people use it as an excuse for a personality and it's just kind of I only drink single estate you know what's it drip single drips it's just and people bring their own thermometers and grinders into work yeah. and you just think come on mate just Nescafe Gold is perfectly Whoa! decent just you know it's oh, just an <laughs> absolute on. nonsense and all this kind of 400 pound bean to cup machines and you just think oh, it's just it's too much it's too much it's, it's, the, it's this pendulum swung to far yeah could you not <laughs> i mean uh, i think my pendulum's probably somewhere in the middle somewhere away from yeah gold yeah thing, yeah I, I think i think when i started i didn't have coffee and then as time went on i had the filter coffee and then after a while i decided to buy the costa coffee and then realized i was getting quite expensive and started going for the the nespresso and it just kind of escalated from there but yeah i think they they do take it is the coffee level, thing yeah. like a cigarette thing like it used to be that people would go and have cigarettes together but now you have coffees together i guess and maybe in a well i don't know I mean, for me it's like coffee uh, has both an intensely diuretic effect and also it fills me with a sense of impending doom none of which are really conducive to the smooth running of an anaesthetic list um, or (laughs) decision making in ICU so I think for both those reasons exactly it's like running frantically back and forth to the toilet whilst convinced that something really bad's about to happen I don't think anyone wants a consultant in that state so I think me and coffee will just you know stay apart for the time being I was listening I was listening to the Echo Echo Chamber podcast and you were talking about how you'd have a couple of Cokes per day though and I mean that's got a fair bit of caffeine in it and that's fairly diuretic how did you manage that 
Well, it was it was caffeine free. It was caffeine free. Oh, that was the yeah, thing. Sorry, and this was this that. was this was when I was in my twenties. So it was a long time ago, but it had to be caffeine free because otherwise, mm. you know, I would be a medical SHO running around convinced. Well, actually, <laughs> terrible things were happening all the time. So <laughs> amplified the actual kind of environment I was in. But yeah, yeah, it doesn't work for me, caffeine. Yeah, yeah my kidneys enough. are very sensitive to it. <laughs> wow, fair enough, fair enough. Should we? Uh, there was a radiology one that did you guys yeah. want to talk about this? It is by someone. So Sarab Sar- Jar. Uh, so his kind of Twitter handles at Rograd, and he wrote like an interesting, or he kind of linked. Yeah, he wrote this article. It's time for radiologists to stop hedging. And I thought it was like a, it was an interesting. I didn't actually kind of choose that to be provocative to you, Imran. Sorry. It was. No, but, no sorry. Uh, you, you guys carry on. Yeah. It, it, it had an interesting <laughs> se- sentiment. So the particular paragraph that I thought was interesting was was rare. He was talking about how like um, for a lot of scans now the um, the reports tend to be rather guarded like you know particularly with benign findings that there is more there are more suggestions for alternative scans or repeat interval scans and things and that's kind of coming more from radiology than it is from the specialists that are requesting them but this Mm. line in it which was really interesting um which was judgment can neither be can can be neither commoditized nor outsourced judgment means risk risk means value Refusal to accept risk means anti-value. This is where I'm, I'm a bit lost. But anyway, it sounded cool. Actually, it means worse. Mm. It means not doing our job. So does anyone know what that means? Uh, I felt like that might appeal to you in some way because it also talks about value and, you know, <laughs> follow the money and all that, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. I mean, thank, thanks for that, Trisha. Uh, Rosie, um, what, do you, what do you think? Have, you know, you've been probably, I, I don't know if you, have I reported for Glasgow or anywhere? I can't remember if I have. Anyway, I do a fair bit of teleradiology, as you both know. Um, what do you think of these teleradiology, I mean, these radiology reports, not teleradiology reports that um, it maybe hedge a bit? Well, do you know, I have a friend who's a radiologist, um, just one. Everyone does, we're nice people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think the whole point is they're, they're, they're given a clinical question to answer and you, have, you as, the, as the referring clinician have to ask the right clinical question and if you're asking about something in particular they may say oh and by the way the kidney's a bit cystic or whatever but you know I, I haven't done this since COVID kicked off but I used to sort of scan every Wednesday with a consultant radiologist in the hospital, you know, sometimes he would get up at the most recent CT after doing an ultrasound and be like, oh, yeah, look at this. And we hadn't noticed this before. And it hadn't been mentioned in the original report because that wasn't the question that was answered. So, you know, and mm. if I'm asked to see somebody for ICU, I'll be commenting on their respiratory failure. I won't be commenting on their osteoporosis risk. That's not mm. the question I'm being asked to answer. But somebody could say, oh, you went to see my mum when she had pneumonia. And two years later, she had, you know, crush fractures. And mm-hmm. that's your fault because you didn't start her on uh, alendronate or whatever. I mean... You know, your your doctors, you're being asked to answer the clinical question that's in front of you. And I don't Mm. know if that is what, because I don't really understand what that man in the tweet is kind of going on about with the anti-value and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, how how much are you meant to, to, to to really opine about in a given report beyond the clinical question you've been asked or any other kind of obvious findings, do you know what I mean? Because you could probably go on for ages just finding abnormality after abnormality. And then the referring clinician will be swamped with this 2A4 sided da-dun-da-dun-da-dun report that they can't see the wood for the trees. So, you know, where does that balance lie? I'd be interested to see what 
you think about that? Because I think, you know, a, a to the point report is what I'm looking for, you know, mm. for my clinical question. Yeah, I mean, look, I've, I guess I'm giving the inside knowledge here. So basically um, what happens is that when you when you when you do reports for your own base hospital, you can you can make that judgment call. You can say, you know, um, let's say the gall, the, the um, gallbladder is inflamed. You say like, it's cholecystitis and, you know, everything. Maybe they've got a few diverticuli, whatever, but that's not going to be the problem. The problem is the cholecystitis. So you kind of gear your report for them when you're working for your base hospital. When you start doing teleradiology work, which is a, a lot, I do actually a fair bit these days, uh, one company which actually left because of this exact reason, what they will start to do is they start to pick apart your report and they'll start picking up these little things. So for example, I did a report which is an MRI spine and um, they had really bad spinal canal stenosis, massive disc. It was completely, you know, really, really narrowed out. So I, you know, I emphasize that like I normally would. And also there's also some facet joint degeneration in some of the other levels, right? And it came back to me as a discrepancy. I was like, what, what do you mean? What did I do wrong? And they're like, oh, well, you didn't say the levels of facet joint degeneration there was. And I was like, but yeah, but the point was that like they got the, I mean, the, the bigger picture was this. And I tried to explain to them, they're like, no, no, you need to write reflection. And this this kind of stuff kept happening like again and again. And I was thinking, you guys, like what's going on? So I actually talked to them and said, look, what is going on with you guys? Like, why are you guys always on my case about these things that don't matter? You've got to make a judgment call. And they're like, oh no, we've got, you know, they start going about their standards and, you know, their auditing team. This is the way they want things to be done. They want every little thing to be mentioned. And then I talked to a few colleagues and they were like, yeah, this is what the company's like. This is what they do. And then I just let, I just quit. I, I literally, they called me up today. So when do you want us to pick up the computers? And I was like, as soon as possible, please, because I don't want to work for you guys anymore. Because it really <laughs> yeah. does take away. It takes away. It's like a proper breakup. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I, I felt a bit sad. I felt a bit sad because I, I felt like I was working up to work for them because they were meant to be a big company. But um, when I realized like what they were like, I thought, no, I'm not really interested in that because there's two, there's two problems here. First of all, it's trying to make me report in a way that I don't think is the right way to report. Like, I, like what you say, Rosie, I like to try and think about what is a pertinent thing that you need to know and what you need to sort out and the other stuff like I might mention it but it won't be the conclusion it won't be a bigger part you can cater the report for what you want but also the other problem was that if I'd done a report they'd get me to go log back into their computer and write another pretty much another report and then write another A4 piece of paper to reflect on it which became twice the work is that like, that defeats the purpose of what I'm doing here so I was like yeah mate you guys are, you guys can go away now I've got other companies to work for yeah. so um when you, with America anyway, a lot of them can be teleradiologists. And when you're doing teleradiology and you're getting audits to that level, you end up having to report, report right on everything, absolutely everything. And then you start hedging things. And like I was telling you guys, you know, because you don't always have the previous previous scans, you start saying, um, Ultrasound recommended to correlate where this really is a hepatic cyst. You know it's a cyst, of course it is, but then there's a 1% time that it's not. You, do you really want to go through that? You say, well, you know, do an ultrasound. To do it and then you end up and you end up having like loads more investigations as a result of someone that's not part of the ecosystem as it were reporting your scans and that's that's the problem but the other problem is that we don't have enough radiologists so as long as we don't have enough radiologists these companies that will exist they'll they will exist and um, keep siphoning off work from the nhs and we'll always have the problem of um spiraling amounts of work as a result of ourselves really unfortunately but anyway there's the inside scoop of radiology life how difficult yeah. can it be how terrible there, there are a couple of threads that i do think are really uh, important to get in in particular there was okay. a thread by the um, at lady doctor says 
and uh, she's orthopedics and she did a really really good thread so this is uh, it's really worth like checking back to so this was on october the 30th the summary one was with the hashtag hammer it out i guess that might be a good way of finding it but the summary it says if you mm. think men are better at orthopedics better suited to orthopedics better qualified for orthopedics or better for the field of orthopedics you probably shouldn't be in orthopedics and she basically goes through all these different myths and the different tropes and you can kind of see it actually uh, like um probably you could exchange orthopedics for other specialties really the kind of different mm. tropes um oh my gosh one of them that really triggered me well one i saw which is that myth number nine women surgeons are such bitches they don't fit in with the group of dynamics and then the truth to that is you probably suck yeah. at your job and she's just let you know whilst also fixing whatever you've busted up <laughs> or maybe she's sick of your inappropriate comments i mean she just created 200 200 bones um and like there's the other stuff isn't it like um women get pregnant and leave their programs hanging so everyone else has to pick up their slack for free is another myth and she said the truth is that the funding is there regardless of her physically being there if the burden of work redistributed is unsafe that's a hospital problem not her problem and whilst we're on Mm. this why is it that growing a whole new human being then ejecting them from a body is not an acceptable reason for needing time off from work oh my gosh Hmm. like um it's um and then there's a whole like you know whether it's a meritocracy thing because there are men in it before and it's like well that's a terrible reason because you can see that there's loads and loads of mediocre men in uh, in the workplace so that's not it that can't mm. be it but excellent thread um, did you see it guys yes uh, i did see it. i mean rosie what did you make of that i mean you know do you find do you find have you seen this i mean you work with surgeons or you, in your line of work do you see this kind I mean, of it's a, it's a brilliant thread it takes into account so many of the false arguments used um to justify incredibly skewed gender balances in certain specialties and i think so often like my specialty intensive care medicine is 20 percent female at consultant level yeah. um you know yeah so mm. it's 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 one of the most gender imbalanced specialties which is bizarre because anesthesia isn't and people often align the two mm. uh, and the two sit very well together but yeah and it's always oh but the women don't want to do it because of this and women don't suit it because of that and mm. people and i'm sure men and women both hold this opinion uh just seem to ignore the, the the culture that an incredibly gender skewed um, specialty can have, either as a result of, um, or, or just because that, that that's how it's always evolved and how it can be incredibly hostile to anyone who's not part of the of the of the majority demographic. And I just thought it was an absolutely fantastic thread in debunking all of those myths that, you know, people always talk about it's a pipeline problem, it's a pipeline problem. Well, no, it's not. In the UK, you know, we've got majority female graduates. So what is it that certain specialties, cardiology, for instance, I mean, it is unsurprisingly the most male dominated um, medical specialty. Mm. Um, and I'm sure, Imran, for, for radiology, interventional radiology is probably the most male-dominated specialty. You know, there are all these kind of particularly procedural specialties that are, are male-dominated and people always just say, oh, it's because women don't want to work out of hours or women don't mm. like standing up all day wearing lead. And you think, yeah, really? Because, you know, your, your nurse mm. is standing up beside you all day mm. wearing lead and getting on with it. So why is it that the cardiologist or the interventional radiologist can't? And so there's all these kind of external reasons put mm. on that don't examine the culture and just the, the structures that um, systematically exclude women and stop the women within the specialties thriving to their, their full extent of their ability, I thought was a fantastic thread. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those situations where, I mean, it, there's been a genuinely, genuinely good tweet that people can really learn from, isn't it? Like, this is something that you can you can read and be like, yeah, 
that's that's actually really 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 well done isn't it um i think we're coming up to time but there was one thing that you know obviously i like to egg through on wherever i can um so through would you like to talk about um z-dog and oh, uh, prasad oh my gosh yeah <laughs> so these were like two of perhaps I wouldn't say they're my least favorite characters on Twitter, but they're kind of getting there. So Vinay, so Vinay Prasad was kind of speaking of, for, to Z Dog, and I was kind of looking into Z Dog because I, rem- I was trying to w- work out like where I'd seen this guy before. And so he uh, he's a physician from the states, Stanford trained. I saw um, he he courted some controversy because he ha- a bit, had taken an anti-vax position in the past. He since then was some kind of. Um, with some tweets on Facebook or some posts on Facebook's kind of said oh, I was wrong or whatever. Um, he's also kind of famous for kind of like rapping and things, I think. Mm. But he had uh, Vinay Prasad on his thing and Vinay Prasad was just kind of talking in like this excitable little rodent um, that he has kind of <laughs> just about like, and it's just about this really bizarre, like uh, he's talking about like how you, you basically don't practice like holistic medicine to become a consultant, which seems like a rich position to, for him to take because I don't think he really practices medicine anymore. But it just, it was just uh, this com- this perfect storm of just kind of irritating people like Vinay Prasad who can't just, oh, uh, it just comes out with takes just because I think they're kind of clickbaity and Zid Dog who's just, he's more than a doctor now, like he's, I don't he's something else like he's a presenter social media maybe it's jealousy maybe yeah. yeah yeah maybe maybe I'm just jealous I guess I mean Rosie what did you make of this what did you did you watch that video did you send that video to us I can't remember I, maybe you sent it or someone did yeah um, I added it to the list because I thought this is gold this mm. is gold <laughs> so I mean he sort of talked about what's it you you, you don't is it you don't know how to practice medicine when you're a when you're a student mm. when you're yeah. a resident when you're a fellow it's only when you're five or six years in um, and I presume he means five or six years into to being an attending. And actually, all the stuff he said about what makes medicine, what makes you wise at practicing medicine, is completely non-controversial. It's about you know being aware of the patient's desires, practicing patient-centered medicine, finding out what what you know the treatment that you're suggesting. Um, will do for their condition and what that means for them and what is the outcome that is meaningful to them. None of that's controversial at all. But I think to suggest that that is something that is exclusive to consultants in understanding that being an important part of medicine is it is just not true. Mm. It's just not true. Um, and arguably, you know, on the ICU, for example, like uh, a couple of months ago, one of our trainees went in just to do a cannula on a patient and took that opportunity to have this really long conversation with them about their goals of care and what they really wanted, um, you know, in terms of coming back to the ICU or not. Um, and it was a beautiful conversation and, and done amazingly because they completely understand these concepts and arguably have more time to spend with the patients to actually have these conversations and to sort of say that these are exclusively um, the, the, the the, the, the roles of consultants because we're the only ones that have that insight, mm-hmm. empathy and ability to have these conversations and understand that these things are, are important is, I mean, I know we sort of sh- uh, throw around words like that's so insulting, but that genuinely is insulting mm-hmm. to um, to people who are in the earlier stages of their careers to suggest that they do not have that capacity to understand that these things are important. And just the way he said it, like you mm-hmm. say, to like this gerbil on speed, you're like, come on now. <laughs> Just stop it. It's just smug, wasn't he? It's just like, he was kind of going with this kind of twee kind of like sentiment. Like, oh, you learn it. You mm. learn how to be like a human being. Oh, get lost. Mm. Get well, you, you make him sound like Dobby, the house. <laughs> <laughs> but it is just, is. you know. Yeah. Uh, 
it's just, it's just you know who, what what gives you that right to to, to to you know have that judgment on an entire generation yeah, of doctors and like exactly. you say somebody who doesn't actually practice medicine if somebody said that like at the end of their career you might think oh well, you know they're heading off into the sunset that's totally fine they can say what they want but you know this guy's what in his thirties. Maybe mm. you know he's not some seasoned old timer mm. to to have these kind of out of touch views. Um, I don't know what he was hoping to achieve by making that comment. Maybe he wasn't actually thinking about it; it just came out of his mouth. Um, but it's quite strange. I mean, I, I've yeah. seen um, Zed Dog, and I, I, I found his, some of his YouTube videos quite funny. I think he did a, a few skits of like doing songs, uh, but medically related and stuff. And I thought they were quite good. And actually, I, I didn't know that was Zed Dog um, who's going to turn up. So I, when you see the clip, you just see Vinay Prasad talking, and you think, "What is this guy talking about?" And suddenly Zed Dog turns up at the end and be like, "I got you there." Man. I really understood that. I was like, well, "You." Wow, man, like, I can't believe you'd even accept that. That was such an odd thing to say. And um, I agree with you, Rosie. Like, I feel like what he was saying wasn't terrible, but it was completely out of touch with what's really going on, unless he's talking about a training that he's had. And I touched upon this when we talked to each other. It's like, you know, actually, you know, when I go, to, when I've been to Bangladesh and I speak to my cousins and the ones who are who are learning and you know going to university, there is they they do a lot of rope learning. They don't do very like I remember someone even told me that they had to do creative writing and everyone had to write the same story. And if they didn't write the same story, they wouldn't get the marks. And so when you got a situation in a place like that where everyone is regurgitating stuff and it is about you know um, learning rope facts, then then the argument does hold, but. That's not the way that medicine's moving towards, I think, you know, and that's not the way that I've, my experience. Yeah, because that's what he yeah. was saying at the beginning, wasn't it? Medicine's not a memorization mm. game. Um, and, and it's not memorization, it's all about knowing the patient. Mm. Um, and that was the whole the whole point, yeah. wasn't it? And you're like, it's a balance that you need, you do need to know some yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You can't just talk to the patient and be like, <laughs> That's right, homeopathic medicine. That's the one. That's the one that's going to sort this out. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's a balance. So yeah, just to be just like it's not about memorization. It's all about about being warm and fluffy. Um, it was yeah. a, it was clickbait. Exactly what Thrusha was saying. It kind of plays up to like uh, you know like I find the American sometimes when you watch the American you know American TV shows they'll play up certain phrases and words and be like you know they'll play it up to be a certain way and that's the kind of agenda that they want to throw across like oh we're going to going counter against the, exactly. the wider medical he, he it's like he wants like a bit like bits like his little quotes little video quote of him to be like posted for the trailer or something he mm. just wants those bits kind of put out there like, yeah yeah difficult personalities I mean he's got they've gone full in, influence haven't they both of the two of them mm. yeah he's gone full influencer not really making much sense anymore never go full influencer we have to remember yeah exactly I'm only trying to flog tea um, alright <laughs> so I think uh, you know, we, we've come up to time haven't we um, we've been speaking for a very very long time Rosie thank you so much I know your bedtime's coming up isn't it like you, you like to be yeah. in bed by 10 will you make it I would normally be in bed by now <gasps> yeah it's like um, it's, it's 25 oh, to wow. 10 I, I'm an early morning person I'll be getting up tomorrow at like six to have yeah. my, my, my breakfast mm. and, and yeah I'm actually in my pyjamas right now <laughs> you can't tell I've got my bedtime piece yeah on. I noticed oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah thank you so much for staying up for us yeah yeah thank you oh you're thank more than you welcome so it's been a treat thank you for coming and um, happy Diwali everyone thank you so much for for listening it's been an absolute um, it's been fun this week we pulled in a few things that weren't yeah. entirely med twitter as well isn't it talking talk about David Beckham on this show I didn't think we'd ever would I know but anyway there you go um, yeah so Rosie as we said earlier we, uh, we've been enjoying your tweets for quite a while we've been quoting you a few times as you may have heard as the mm. tweets have gone on so it's lovely to actually have you on the show to um to talk about some of what you think and feel as well so um thank you so much and um 
yeah thank you for everyone else that listens to it keeps keeps listening um yeah and try and give us a five-star review that would be really nice thanks oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right then bye everyone and you've been listening to two medics and one mic with imran laskar and Thrusha gwana thank you for listening